2: This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership.
3: This is Writing Excuses, Season 6, Episode 18, The Hollywood Formula. Fifteen minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Howard. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. And I'm Lou. Lou Anders, the Hugo Award-winning Lou Anders, (laughs) joins us for a discussion of The Hollywood Formula. Um, Lou approached me at uh, Worldcon after hearing that uh, Mary sort of name-dropped him a little bit as we talked about the Hollywood formula with Dave Wolverton back in Season 5. And so we thought we would go ahead and circle circle the wagons on this topic and talk Hollywood formula with Lou. But I think I need to let Mary ask the questions.
2: Well, Lou, sitting around over drinks with Paolo Bacigalubi, you explained the Hollywood formula to me in a very pithy way. And I was wondering if you could just explain it again.
4: I would be happy to. And I should say going in, too, that a lot of people think the word formula has a negative connotation. You know, they think formula Hollywood movies mean the same cheesy things over and over again. But when we use the word formula, we're really talking about the rules. Just like you wouldn't set out to write a concerto without learning how to write music and, and learning your scales. Hollywood has a formula that has developed over almost 100 years of cinema basically to squeeze maximum emotional value out of every scene of a film and when you learn the formula you can use it to shape your screenplays to get that reaction from the audience
2: and 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 i'm going to jump in and say that i have found that it, it works with novels too which is what was so exciting about the well, conversation. Well, and that's the whole point of
5: talking yeah. about this on writing <laughs> yes. excuses yes. Yes. And,
2: instead and
3: of <laughs> screenplay excuses.
4: Mary, you, you had said in, a, in, a, in, a, in the podcast that when you applied it to novels, your beta reader started crying. Yes. And uh, that's what struck me. And so I've started, I just, at ArmadilloCon, I just did a, an hour-long presentation to a writer's workshop on the Hollywood formula. And I'm going to do it again on in uh, FinCon in two weeks uh, from the time that I'm speaking. <laughs> and
0: uh, <laughs> of course, this is broadcast live.
4: <laughs> yes, and um, and so you're you're the reason that I'm now teaching this.
0: Excellent. Cool. Well, well, uh, let's talk about it then. Tell us okay. what the Hollywood formula is.
4: Well, the next thing I have to do is I have to give credit where credit is due, okay. which is that this this uh, this version of the Hollywood formula was created by Dan Decker, who is uh, my mentor in screenwriting in the 90s I studied under him for a long time and Dan had a career being flown in by studios like Warner Brothers and Paramount to teach their story executives what the formula was so they knew what to look for Cool. and um, basically first of all it all starts with three characters every single film has three characters that matter and everything else is peripheral you have your protagonist your antagonist and what's called your relationship or dynamic character I'm gonna use the term relationship character but don't think that that implies the person with whom the lead is having a relationship. It does not. Um, The protagonist is usually the most obvious one. He's the star of the film. He or she is the star of the film. The protagonist is someone who wants something, and it has to be something concrete. It can't be, I want to be happy, or I want to be pretty, or I want to be rich. It has to have a definite achievable goal associated with that. So I want him to fall in love with me so that I will be happy. I want to win the game show that I'm going to be on so that I will be rich. I want to rob the casino of the guy who is dating my ex-girlfriend. That will make me happy. So I can be happy and rich. Exactly. So it has to be a, a concrete achievable goal. The antagonist is the person who places obstacles to that goal in the path of the protagonist. This does not mean the bad guy. and We can talk about some very interesting examples. The antagonist is the one whose goals are diametrically opposed to the protagonist, and they're the one who is blocking the protagonist's journey. The third character, the relationship or dynamic character, is the person who accompanies the protagonist on their journey. Typically, they are someone who have been there, done that before, and they have wisdom to communicate to the protagonist, and the protagonist isn't hearing. You can tell them because they are the person to whom or from whom the theme of the film is articulated. There will be a conversation in the film between the two of them that is the articulation of the film's theme. And at the end of the film, they will revisit that conversation and they will do what's called the reconciliation of the protagonist and the antagonist.
3: I'm going to need an example.
2: This is where it gets good.
4: Can we, can we get through it and then oh, go okay. back to the example if okay. that's okay? Oh,
2: oh that's I, I thought why. we were
3: done. All no, right, no, let's no, keep no. going then. No, now,
4: no, this is that's the structure of it. Now, the way it plays out across a film, um, and by the way, a film is done when the protagonist achieves his goal, the antagon- defeats the antagonist and reconciles with the relationship character, and then you bring the curtain down. And the closer those three events can happen to each other, the more emotional impact the film will have. Now, films are all different links, but we're going to describe this formula in terms of a two-hour film. Okay. So in Hollywood speak, a, you get one minute per screen pa- one, one screenplay page equates to one minute of film time. So a two hour film is 120 pages okay. and we break that into three acts. The first act is 30 pages long, the second act is a double length 60 page act, and the third act is a 30 page final act. And those proportions hold whatever length the screenplay is. Um, but we're going to speak about it as if it's 120 pages. In the first act you introduce the three characters and what they want. 11 to 13 minutes in, which means page 11 to 13, you have what's called the fateful decision. This is the moment in which the protagonist is presented with a choice, and he must choose to have a film. If she's given a choice, and she chooses, you know, if if when in Thelma and Louise, when Thelma's jerky husband tells her she can't go on the trip, if she listens to the husband, we have no movie. If she gets in the car despite being told by the overbearing husband that she can't go, we have a movie. That's the faithful decision. It's about 11 minutes in in the film. In The Matrix, do you want the red pill or the blue pill? Depending on which
3: pill he has, the
4: movie's either over or it's moving forward.
3: Now, The Matrix was longer. That was about 20 minutes in. The it's Matrix call, has three
4: faithful decisions. Okay. First, he gets the cell phone in the FedEx package, and he, and he chooses not to go out on the ledge. Right. He's given a second choice with the pill, and between there's the choice in the car where Trinity says to him if you get out of the car now you know you've been down that road before and he chooses to stay in the car. So that's a very interesting film and it plays with faithful decision three times. Um, But so the first act establishes our characters, establish what they want, gives us the faithful decision, and then closes. Now the first act and a half up to page 60 is about asking questions. Once we get to page 60 we should stop asking questions and we should start answering them. So from page 60 to page 120, we're going to begin to answer questions. Now, page 90 is called the low point. That is the position at which we are the farthest from our goal that it is possible to be. What does James Bond and the Harlem Globetrotters have in common? They always win? Absolutely. The cool Harlem hair. Globetrotters have an amazing record. They've never lost a game. Mm-hmm. That poor team that always plays them never Washington wins. Generals. What's fascinating about the Harlem Globetrotters is not the suspense of the outcome. It's how far away Curly can take the ball and still make a basket. You know, he may run outside the stadium and do laps around in the parking lot and still somehow score a goal. That's the same with James Bond. James Bond never loses. So the tension of a Bond film doesn't come from is Bond going to win or not. It comes from what Bond is going to have to go through to achieve that win. So the low point is the point in which you've moved your protagonist as far as he or she could possibly get from their goal. In the movie Midnight Run with uh, Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin, this is the point where Charles Grodin has been captured by the bad bounty hunter and taken away, and De Niro is left without a car in the middle of the desert, and right after he loses him, a hundred cop cars come over the hill, and he's in trouble. That's the low point. Okay. In Luke's Free Willy, there's a marvelous scene in, in it's not necessarily a marvelous movie, but um, when the whale is in his tank teetering on the edge of a cliff and the boy looks at him and says, gee Willie, this really is a low point, isn't it? (laughs) That's a screenwriter joke. (laughs) The third act is called the final battle and the third act is just the fight from the low point to the end. Um, Stargate, the original film, and Die Hard are unique in in that they are all third act movies. They get through the first two acts in about ten minutes. And then they have an hour and a half long final battle, but, uh, which is, you know, a way you can play with this. But, um, so that's how the structure breaks down. And then at the very end of the film, you achieve your goal, you reconcile with the relationship character, you defeat the antagonist and you drop the curtain.
5: Hey writers, are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today.
4: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. And now I think we can do some examples if that's...
3: Yeah, well, actually, the next thing we want to do is our uh, Audible Book of the Week. Book of the
0: Week. And uh, this week we're going to talk about The Dervish House, recently Hugo nominated and uh, has a brand new audio book. Lou, what can you tell us about The Dervish House?
4: The Dervish House is from Ian McDonald. He's a multiple Hugo uh, nominee and winner. Uh, The book itself was just on this year's Hugo ballot. It is um, set in the very near future in Turkey, in Istanbul and it concerns an assortment of characters who live in an apartment complex that used to be a whirling dervish house. And uh, one of them is a little boy who has a very real disease that um, extreme noises will stop his heart. There are only in the world today about five people diagnosed with this disease for obvious reasons. And the boy lives in a room covered in eggshells and, um, and he w- has to wear special headgear that dampen all sound. And he experiences the world by sending this remarkable robot out that can be a monkey, a bird or a snake. And he spies on the other people in the dervish house and he spies on the outside world. Another man, person in the dervish house is, an, is a Greek dissident who has been exiled from Greece for political activism. And he lives in the dervish house and he's created a way to play the terror market. People trade stocks based on the predictions of where terror is going to break out in the world. And he gets involved in a big government think tank because of his terror market. Um, There's a young man who's basically what the Brits would call a waster, what we would call a loser. Um, He doesn't know where, he's, he's jobless, he doesn't have much direction. And he is on a train and there's a very unique terrorist attack, a woman's head explodes and no one is injured.
3: Yeah, I remember that mm-hmm. scene and was uh, was intrigued. I have to confess I haven't finished the book and yet. And after but after that's okay. It, that's that yes, I'm reading it. Well,
4: after that event, he begins to see Jen everywhere he looks. Yeah. And um the monkey, snake bird robot also <laughs> witnessed it and then witnessed another robot witnessing it witnessing it and that robot tries to tear up the monkey snake bird robot. Yeah. And the boy and the Greek man decide to figure out who, who was there and why they were there, and it starts a mystery. And the other plot threat, and I'll wrap this up, is there's an art dealer, a woman who deals in rare collectibles, who is hired to find a mellified man. Yeah,
3: that's, that's the, the concept of the mellified, mellified man is, is very cool. So you've taken us through about maybe what, the first 20 pages oh, yeah. of the book? Oh, not, yeah, not, not much at all. Not very much at all. Just I, the introduction
5: yeah. of the characters.
3: Yeah. Um, good, good fun. So you can go out to audiblepodcast. dot com slash excuse and kick off a fourteen day free trial membership. Download your copy of The Dervish House. Um, remind me of the author's name again. I'm Ian sorry. McDonald. Ian McDonald. Um, download a copy of The Dervish House by Ian McDonald or any other audio book of your choice. But we recommend this one because it was nominated for Hugo and it's an awesome book. Um, help support the podcast and uh, have some fun listens. Now, we're going to come back around and talk uh, examples, right? Casablanca. Everybody's seen it? Nope. Oh, you're kidding.
2: Oh, come on. I'm a
3: horrible what? person. You're a whor- I'm oh. sorry. But go ahead and use that example, and we'll pretend I said yes. All right. Dan, have you seen it? Yes, I have. Yes. Who's the protagonist? Oh,
0: dang it. That's easy. I assume it's Humphrey Bogart. Of right?
4: course. What okay. does he want? Protagonist
0: we're, wants um, Elsa back. Wants okay. his girlfriend back.
4: Who's the antagonist?
0: The antagonist, I would say, is the the horror of war, no, <laughs> no, that's be sorry. concrete. I know, dang it. Um, I can't remember any names. It's it's Elsa's other boyfriend, right?
4: Oh, you jumped right to it. Yeah. Most people mistakenly think it's the Nazi. No, no, Nazis no. are bad. It's not the Nazi. It's not the Nazi at all. The Nazi is perfectly happy for Rick to have Elsa, and in fact, will conveniently take her husband away and shoot him to mm-hmm. help Rick get Elsa. So he's an evil, yeah, dude, but he's not the, the antagonist. It's Victor Laszlo, he, hero of that's all right. Europe, greatest, Lazlo. the hope Couldn't of. can remember anyone's name. You know, the man, the only man who escaped like two concentration camps, and is the hope of all Europe, and he's the one that's the obstacle in Rick's path. Mm-hmm. Who's the relationship character?
0: Uh, the little, uh, the Vichy water guy.
4: Yep. What's God th- Reigns. Yes. <laughs> He's the relationship I have character. seen the movie. I just the apparently. Exp- right, no, you're doing quite well. The, um, the expression of theme is when he tells Rick, I think you have the letters of transit, and Rick says, I stick my neck out for no one or nobody. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, you don't. You're still a patriot. And that's it. He's telling Rick, you're still a patriot. And Rick doesn't want to hear or believe. And when Rick gives up the girl in the end, he says, I was right, Ricky, you are a patriot. And they say, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Yeah. Bring the curtain down on that line
2: which cool. is interesting since they apparently started that film without knowing the ending yes they did. I think
4: this is the film that creates the formula because if you go back and watch something like the film of the year before To Have or Have Not which also stars Humphrey Bogart as an expatriate a- in World War II uh, it's it's a tangled mess and um, and in fact it's probably why he was cast in Casablanca actually now that I think about it he was mm. typecast but um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of films from before that area where the pacing just feels odd and it's because Casablanca nailed it you know and kind of
3: So Casablanca nailed it, not because uh, somebody hypothesized that there was a formula, but because they got lucky, and then they looked at it and and said, "Eh, you know what, I bet we can do this again. We just have to figure out what these elements are.
4: Study this and see why it works. And
2: this is the key to any formula. I think of them as as recipes that... A lot of times people will go, oh, Harry Potter is really successful, so I should write a, a novel about a little boy who lives under, uh, under the stairs, which is looking at the ingredients but not understanding what each part is. It's like right. when you go into the kitchen and you're cooking and you discover that you are missing an ingredient, you can shuffle the recipes around as long as you understand what each ingredient is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And the same is true in, in the Hollywood formula. One of the things that you talked about that I thought was really interesting was um, subverting the formula and um, places uh, and Thelma and Louise was one of the ones that you talked about as an example of of a way that the formula can get subverted. Um, I think it was Thelma and Louise.
3: Well there are a couple Um, You subverted it. You talked about Stargate subverting it. Right.
4: Stargate and Die Hard both pulled the final battle forward Thelma and Louise, who's the antagonist? The cliff (laughs) 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 Wrong
0: yeah, see, that's not one I've seen, so I will back out and let you guys answer this one. I was on the block for Casablanca.
2: Well, see, I've, I've already gone through this, so yeah. I, I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to be guessing. I'm just going to be I already repeating.
3: threw out my best guess, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
2: No, just let loose. It's Louis: well, no. Dun- 15 Louise, long. In yeah, and, and Dun- the
4: and the, the person, the, their goal is escape, and, and escape is defined, sadly, by killing themselves in the end, by driving off the cliff. Yeah. And every single male in the movie is horrendous, except for Harvey Keitel who actually understands them, gets what they're about, and is giving them every break and is trying to save them and guesses that they're going to commit suicide and tries to prevent it. So the one decent male in the entire film is our antagonist because what he is doing is at odds with what they're trying to achieve. Um, the Dark Knight? We've all seen The Dark Knight? Yeah. yeah. we've mm-hmm. it's, it's, I want to say The
3: Joker. Are you going to tell me that the antagonist isn't The Joker?
4: Who, who's the protagonist first? Let's start simple
0: well I want to say Batman right
4: what does he want
2: he wants his parents back no <laughs> I know. that's a no. general
4: what does he want specifically
0: yeah, in this movie specifically he wants uh, to bring order to the no. city no? no dang it
3: Hmm. He wants. well this is why I don't write Batman <laughs> novels yeah when Harvey um, Keitel I mean Harvey Keitel when
4: when when Harvey Dent arrests the 250 gangsters in one day in the courtroom? Does Batman say competition? No, he says beauty. With Dent can arrest 250 bad guys in a day. That's He'd right. It. He,
0: uh, he, what he wants is, is to, quit. to replace himself. He, he wants, wants to, to quit. quit. He wants to not be necessary. He tells Rachel,
4: that You said you'd wait for me. If I can quit, will you marry me? She says, Don't make me a hope for a better life. He wants to quit. Mm-hmm. So who's the antagonist?
0: Himself? No, he can't no. do that. I know, sorry.
3: Weak, Weak well, choice.
0: Commissioner Gordon?
3: <laughs> Joker is pretty much the one who makes it impossible for him to quit. Wrong.
0: Oh, you're right. It's Harvey Dent.
3: Yep. yep. Harvey
4: Dent is not the man. Which is he why he is.
0: the movie feels like it's going to end mm-hmm. when you catch the Joker and then there's another 20 minutes because, because they Dent haven't is the resolved antagonist. it. Yep. Ah. It, it
4: okay. Dent continually lets him down by not being the man he wants him to be. Dent is going to shoot the guy to find out where the, the, the guy. you know he's going to shoot the crazy guy to find out where mm-hmm. Rachel's been taken and Batman says don't do that if people saw you do that with spoil your image. Dent is constantly making the weak choices, even before he becomes 2 faced Hmm. he's making bad decisions, and Batman is constantly trying to hedge what he's doing and make Dent look like a better guy than he is. Dent is the antagonist by not being the person that Batman wants him to be. Mm -hmm. Who's the relationship character?
3: That has to be the Joker.
4: Yep. The expression of theme, don't pretend you're like them, you're not like them, even if you'd want to be. You're like me, you're a freak. Yeah. And the reconciliation is when the Joker says, Do you know how I got these scars? And Batman says, No, but I know how you get these. Batman tells a joke, shoots him in the face with a knife, and accepts his role as the dark knight. Yeah. And tells Gordon, Tell him I murdered him. And let me be the dark knight, not the white knight that I wanted Harvey Dent to be. He finally got what the Joker's saying, which is why even though he's been shot in the face with a knife, the Joker is laughing his head off at the end because Batman listened.
3: Mm-hmm. Very cool. All right, well, we are pretty much all the way out of time um who wants to throw a writing prompt
2: so for your writing prompt come up with a protagonist an antagonist and a relationship character and then see what happens if you start spinning a story
3: excellent you are out of excuses now go write